Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, tech. Uh, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about Facebook breaking the internet. We talk about TikTok releasing NFTs of its most viral content. We talk about the big Twitch leak. And we talk about Microsoft and Valve being pro repair. On to topic number one this past week, as I'm sure many people listening to this will know, Facebook broke down. Them, WhatsApp, Instagram, all the companies that they owned were pretty much down for six hours, Monday, October 4th. Everything crashed. Um, There were a lot of people devastated, a lot of social influencers were without a job for six hours, you know, kind of wondering what their future would be. And a lot of people reported uh, being more productive over those six hours, not getting distracted as easily. They, they felt a sense of clarity that they previously hadn't felt before, but it's all up and running now. And, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of speculation as to why Facebook crashed why the facebook properties crashed some people speculated maybe an internal attack some people speculated it could be some sort of foreign entity but it turned out it was just a bug in a update uh there's you know a command issue during maintenance that accidentally caused a shutdown of some servers and that led to everything that facebook owns crashing so Unfortunately, not the Hollywood, uh, you know, headlines that everyone was hoping for or expecting, but it was still definitely, you know, could be a Hollywood movie at some point. But how did you feel during this this great Facebook crash of 2021? Were you devastated? Were you out of a job? <laughs> Were you relieved that you weren't stuck doom scrolling for six hours of your day? That's the funny thing. I didn't even know what happened. Um, I had no idea Facebook was down. I didn't hear anything. I, I don't really use Facebook products. Um, and even people in my family who use things like WhatsApp and Facebook did not, I don't think they noticed that it was down. I think probably they just thought, oh, I didn't get any messages um, for for this time period. But the interesting thing is when I did hear about it, and I heard that it was down for six hours. I was surprised as someone who's not ingrained in the Facebook ecosystem of just how big of an impact it had on people's lives. Um, you know, I understand Instagram is, is really, really great and, you know, is a huge part of people's lives, just the same way TikTok is. And, you know, I know there's some people out there who still use TikTok. I'm sorry, not TikTok, who still use Facebook. And, you know, obviously a lot of people use WhatsApp. And the idea that this is a worldwide, that this is what really surprised me, is that this affected their users worldwide. And, you know, as someone who's been in situations where servers go down and networking equipment goes down, and it's a huge problem. And I know what it's like to be in that scramble of how do we fix this? How do we get back up and running? What the problem is? And just how nerve-wracking that is. It's, I've never been in a situation where it's on the scale of hundreds of millions of users uh, like what Facebook was facing. So I could only imagine how terrifying that was for them. And I mean, like things like this happen all the time. They just don't happen to companies as the size of, of Facebook. Usually there is a rollback plan where if an update rolls out that breaks everything, there's a quick button or not a button but essentially a quick <laughs> process you can press that says hey roll back to when things were working we'll look at what went wrong and we'll fix it and then we'll re-roll out that 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 process or, or that update or that change that we were planning on making and the fact that that did not happen here is kind of surprising because facebook is this huge company they should probably have a little bit more a little bit more oversight on what's happening with their updates. Usually when an update like this, like I said, details are a little bit sparse. I don't know exactly what happened, but generally when you are going to a 
upgrade your systems in some kind of way, you're going to do it in a rolling matter. So let's say, for example, I'm a national or a multinational company where I have servers all around the world. I will introduce this update to a particular region and a particular server, see how that goes. And then if that's good, then I'll roll it out to another and I'll roll it out to another and I'll do it gradually over time. And if I notice any errors, I'll start rolling back. And that didn't happen here. And it broke the entire Facebook ecosystem for a span of six hours, which I imagine cost them a lot of money. So, you know, maybe this is a, a good thing for them to, to look into their process of, of doing this in the future. Um, or maybe there's some other, some other reason as to why, why this happened. Like you mentioned, I think a lot of people were hoping this would be some big, some big extravagant story that another social network part two could be based off of. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't look like that was the case. It looks like maybe it was just a mistake. Um, but I'm curious, did you notice that this happened as it happened? It was it something that came to you through a news story or did you notice it right away? And did you notice any difference while it was down? Uh, so I guess when it first happened, I was trying to send a group message and I sent it, closed my phone. And then like 30 minutes later, it said it didn't send. So I tried to resend it 30 minutes later, same thing Send it didn't send. I tried to resend it. And then at that point, I just kind of, I was busy with work. So I, I put my phone away and I didn't really realize until the end of the day that, Hey, yeah, I didn't like get any messages or any updates. And then it wasn't until. I was on my way home and I was listening to podcasts and they said, yeah, Facebook was down for like six hours out of the day and blah, this, this, this. And then I realized, oh, well, yeah, I guess I didn't get as many notifications as I typically get. But because I was so preoccupied during the day, I didn't really notice. It didn't really affect me that I wasn't getting any, uh, any memes or real sent to me. But I, I would say definitely not something, uh, I don't know, that affected my day too much, you know, in a negative or in a positive way. But it's, it's, I mean, I think part of why people thought it could be something bigger than what it was and just some like an accident was just the timing of when it happened, right? Like Facebook has been getting a lot of negative news recently because there have been quite a few leaks from, from inside Facebook to the New York Times and there was a recent whistleblower who was testifying in front of Congress who just appeared on 60 Minutes, you know. There's a lot of negative press around Facebook this past week. And then all of a sudden, Facebook's down for like six hours. Everyone's like, what's Facebook trying to cover up here? Like, what's going on here? Is this mm -hmm. part of the whistleblower? They're trying to bring it down from the inside. But yeah, like we said, it was just an accident now. I'm going to summarize, I guess, kind of what I've put together, what I've read from different sources. I, you know, this is not going to be a super technical explanation. Uh, I think Facebook has put out a blog post as to their explanation of what happened. But pretty much uh, there was some maintenance going on and they accidentally caused a shutdown of their backbone that connects all of Facebook's data centers everywhere in the world so the dns and bgp routing information that points to servers uh suddenly disappeared so you mentioned you know they're a multinational company they have server centers all over the world for whatever reason the information on okay how to contact these servers was erased during their maintenance so it's not that the servers went down or they stopped working. It's just for whatever reason that servers couldn't be reached. So this cut off all the servers from the engineers who were trying to fix the issue and disabled many of the tools that Facebook uses to communicate and repair. And you mentioned, you know, usually you do a roll-in sort of uh, update so you can see, okay, if in this location something's wrong, we can kind of, you know, hit the the digital reset button to rewind things back to when they were working well the digital reset button couldn't be used because the engineers couldn't contact the servers to reset them and a lot of i guess a lot of the problem too was facebook prides themselves in 
using Facebook products. Mm-hmm. So for their internal communications, they're using like Facebook messengers for their internal, like their security systems. They're using things built off of Facebook's network and Facebook servers. So when their servers crashed, it wasn't only, you know, we can't send Facebook messages to people to say, hey, you know, let me message a security guard at the front gate to let me in. It's, we can't message the security guard. We can't message the people who are actually working in the server rooms. We can't even access the keypads to get into the server room because this is all running off of the servers, which we can't reach. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they were able to get things up and running again. But even once, you know, the servers were, I guess, reconnected, once they were able to, I guess, communicate with the servers again, they had to do it in sort of a step-by-step fashion. They couldn't just, okay, everyone in the world back on Facebook again, because that, I guess, sudden increase in load would just cause another crash. Mm -hmm. So they had to slowly roll out, I guess, like country by country, region by region, so that's why some people, the, the, I guess the Facebook crash, Facebook outage lasted maybe like four hours, some people five, six, some people seven, because they had to gradually roll out and gradually ramp up the load on the system. That's, that's a really interesting point because, I mean, generally, like for example, if you're going to do an update on DNS, on your DNS server, your, your tables, essentially, it's your, your the information that says, hey, if you want to go here, this is the server it gets routed to, um, or this is the location it gets routed to. Generally, you don't just have one DNS server. You're going to have a backup of that DNS server. And if you're a company as large as Facebook, you're going to have not only just a secondary DNS, but a whole bunch of different routes um, that this information can take that's going to hit different DNS servers to tell it where to get to. So the fact that this affected all of Facebook at once and this, like I said, I have no idea how their network is structured, but it seems like it's a sign that either their rollout process needs to be reevaluated or their network network infrastructure isn't well designed or isn't designed the greatest. But I think that also leads to what you were saying about, you know, why did this happen at this time when there's all this negative press? it seemed like it was too perfect of timing. And like you mentioned, you know, at the time there was a whistleblower um, from Facebook. I believe her name was Frances Hagen. Um, I don't know if I pronounced her name right, but, you know, uh, a computer engineer graduate uh, and data expert that worked with Facebook who was kind of reporting that Facebook knowingly was using tactics that could potentially be dangerous to its consumers. Um, in terms of the way that it portrays information or the way it targets uh, its customers for information. And uh, that particular argument was that Facebook knows about this, but they have chosen not to change any of their tactics because uh, they want to prioritize how much money they're going to make. And I could imagine, you know, maybe that if that's the reality of how that company is run, maybe that can also be applied to their network infrastructure. And like you said, using all Facebook products, potentially that could be a cost-saving measure of saying, hey, you know what? Instead of paying another company to, uh, you know, kind of provide a better product than we can make, uh, let's just use our own products. And, you know, maybe it takes a system like this or a failure like this for them to actually change that. And I've been in this situation before. I've worked for companies who have decided to use their own products that are incredibly inferior and have um, and have a lot of issues. So it's not un, un, unheard of for companies to have practices like this. But it's just interesting the timing of like, hey, Facebook is, is you know, going through some trouble in the news. And also they have this big six-hour outage, which may not seem like a long time. But if you are a Facebook contributor, if Facebook is your job, um, that could be a huge problem. So, yeah, this is a really interesting story. Yeah. Speaking of money, you know, while we're on the topic, apparently Facebook, Facebook lost $100 million in income during the downtime on Monday. And Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg saw his net worth drop 
by more than six billion dollars. Wow. Almost I think it was almost seven billion dollars his net worth dropped. Because obviously a lot of his net worth is tied up in, you know, Facebook stock and that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely a costly day for Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. While we're on the topic of social media, we'll move on to our second story for the day. TikTok is creating its own NFTs. Now, over, I mean, the past year, those are two very buzzworthy topics, I guess, TikTok and NFTs. Now, TikTok has decided to partner with uh, select creators, celebrities, and online entities, as they call them, to release a collection of NFTs. Now, these are moments inspired by six culturally significant TikTok videos in the form of one of one NFTs, which means there's only going to be one NFT for sale. Sometimes, you know, NFTs will be created and there'll be a collection of, you know, a thousand of this one piece of digital art. But TikTok is making one NFT of these six videos each. Um, the proceeds will largely go to the creators involved. And it's typically the person who originally created the video. So the proceeds will largely go to the creators involved. The majority of earnings will go to those creators and the rest will go to Immutable X, which is the company who's actually handling the sales of the NFTs. And there will be a display at the Museum of Moving Image in New York, where, where these six TikToks will be exhibited uh, during the month of October. Now, I guess, what have you heard of TikTok? you know, releasing these six NFTs and which one are you going to buy? <laughs> well, yeah, this is definitely another one that, that you brought to my attention. Um, as you know, I've used TikTok sparingly. Um, and I, I actually think it's a really cool platform. I like, I like the way they make, it almost seems like it's, it's, it's equal in terms of the visibility you get of the big, big, huge creators and, you know, some random person. It almost seems like anyone has the ability to uh, get viewed or get some visibility on the platform, which I think is really cool. But that also leads to the fact that viral content or, you know, very popular content can, can spring up from almost anywhere. And I, I think this is an interesting move from TikTok of being able to capture a moment of time of when something became really culturally relevant and make an NFT of it. Now, I personally have no interest in buying any of them. That being said, I imagine there's probably going to be um, people who have grew, grew, grown up in the, the TikTok ecosystem who are very uh, interested in NFTs. As we've been seeing, they've been doing nothing other than gaining huge popularity. And I, I'm pretty sure it still remains to be seen how valuable NFTs can get. Uh, we talked about the Doge meme one a while back. And, you know, it's, it's, there's only going to be more opportunities for NFTs to exist. Now, the interesting thing, what I think is the most interesting thing about this whole story is that, like you mentioned, a vast majority of the revenue gained from these NFTs are going to go to the creators, which is a little surprising because I imagine the way TikTok's, I guess, agreement would work is that they own the content that gets put up. I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine they own the content that gets submitted to their, their platform. And for them to say, well, hey, yes, you are the person who created it, um, but technically we own it. You're still going to get the vast majority of the revenue from this NFT, which could be a great way of drawing people, creators to the platform. If TikTok doesn't work in the the sense of like how YouTube works where the sharing of revenue is is pretty transparent of how oh you're going to get this percentage and you're going to get this percentage. There's a lot of uh TikTok creators who don't make any money. And you know, maybe they don't get uh tons of views on on tons of videos, but there's one that gets m tens of millions of views. Like that's very possible for something like TikTok. So maybe this is their way of saying, "Hey, you could go you can get make a very popular piece of content on our platform much easier than anyone else can. And if you're a person where maybe you have one or two pieces of 
of really popular content in a year, that could make that piece even more valuable to the point where if it becomes an NFT um, and you get the vast majority, that will only encourage you to keep creating for TikTok, even though you're not getting, you know, the typical revenue sharing that you'll get on something like Twitch or YouTube. So yeah, I, I think this is interesting. And obviously they, they chose some of the biggest moments to start um, with this, but I could imagine that if this does pay off and if NFTs become this big platform that people just want to be a part of, I could see them saying, hey, this one user who has one video that ended up gathering so much acclaim um, you know, maybe it was a dog doing a flip or something like that. And all of a sudden it's the most popular <laughs> video on TikTok for a week. That could be, that could make or break that person's life. You know, like if, if all of a sudden that becomes so popular where it could be turned into an NFT and a person makes, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars off of it, that could completely change their life far more than, you know, the typical social media, um, uh, I guess monetization would. But I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. I'm still wary of like NFTs and if they're going to be able to continue with this high popularity. That being said, I'm all for TikTok trying something new, especially when it it's so beneficial to its creators. But yeah, I don't know. How, how do you feel about this whole situation? And do you think this is positive for creators or maybe just TikTok trying to, to take advantage of a fad? I think it's... I mean, I think it's kind of a bit of both, right? I think it's they're trying to take advantage of the fact that NFTs are so popular right now that there, you know, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of buzz around them. But I also think it's positive for creators and especially creators on TikTok because you know these those are the ones who will be able to benefit from this. You know, in terms of social media platforms, it's generally known that okay. YouTube is probably the most secure one to get paid for because they have your very transparent pay in terms of, you know, AdSense and that sort of thing. But TikTok doesn't really pay creators. They don't have the same sort of, uh, you know, advertising that YouTube has. They don't have the same sort of brand deals that YouTube has. TikTok, you can get, you know, as you said, anyone could really become famous on TikTok or anyone could become viral on TikTok a lot easier than you can on YouTube. But there isn't a transparent way that people get paid. There, there's, As far as I know, you can't really get paid from becoming viral on TikTok. But with this NFT uh, partnership, with this NFT, I guess, deal that TikTok is starting, and it is just with six creators with six nfts to start with but what they're doing with this is they're creating a way for creators to get paid um you know any creator if they wanted to they could go through the process of partnering with you know an nft mentor and getting one of their viral moments turned into an nft and then sold through an nft marketplace but i think the fact that tiktok is the one doing this um I think it's definitely beneficial for creators because it, it's it's some sort of not necessarily a governing body, but because it's coming from TikTok themselves, it's I guess a bit more authentic. It's a bit more validation to say that yes, the larger company is saying this is a viral moment that we are selling on behalf of the creator. And the fact that they're saying, you know the proceeds will largely go to the creator. I think they're understanding that, hey, we are a huge company. You know, I think they're a very profitable company. But one of the things that, one of the negatives about our company is that we haven't found a way to pay creators yet. And through this NFT partnership, through this NFT minting process, they have found the way to pay creators directly they're starting off with these six culturally significant moments. And I'm sure that if this is something that goes over successfully, that they'll branch it off into more moments and they'll branch it off to more and more creators. Now, whether it will be a th something like, you know, the way YouTube is set up, there is a qualification process. You have to get a certain amount of subscribers. You have to get a certain amount of watch hours. And then you can apply to be a YouTube partner. 
is TikTok going to do something similar to say, okay, you have to have, you know, a certain amount of followers on TikTok and you have to have a certain amount of views and, you know, a certain amount of millions of views and then you can launch an NFT. It, it doesn't seem like that is something that they would do just because of the nature of their application, just because of the nature of their their social media platform. But I think they are capitalizing on this hype around NFTs and, you know, who knows how long NFTs will be this popular because we've seen them rise and fall and now it seems like they're rising again. But I think they're capitalizing on that and they're also trying to say, hey, creators, we understand we need to pay you, especially if you want, if we want you to stay on our platform and continue making content for our platform. So even though we may own the rights and, you know, we we don't we haven't read over the terms of service of of TikTok, so we're just assuming this is the case. But even though we own the rights, we are gonna pay you for this content that we own that you created. So I think it's 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 good in both situations. Yeah. No, I, I think you're you're one hundred percent right there of like it's a balancing act of okay, this is really popular right now, but also it's it's a way for us to actually monetize our creators' content. But when you just were talking there, one thing that really kind of seemed like it could have been cool is let's say, for example, you start a TikTok channel or I don't know what you call it, a TikTok account, <laughs> and you post, you know, that, that, that video I was talking about of your dog doing a cool flip and it gets 30 million watches or something like that. What if there's just a button there that says create NFT and it creates that unique that unique, you know, sellable version of that viral clip to the point where anyone who is viewing your channel or anything like that can bid on it. And maybe it goes through a third party. Maybe it's something that TikTok eventually just integrates into their system. I mean, I think that could be a really, I want to say fun way of, of creators making money because it almost becomes like a game of, can I make something that people will actually want to buy? And if I do, I don't know, I, I just puts a little bit different thought than is typical with, with online media like YouTube and stuff like that, which I think could be really cool. It could be. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that would be like if in the app, right, they have a, a bid in process built into it. So it's like, okay, as your video is going viral, as it's blowing up, it's not, okay, this blows up and then I use that as leverage to get you know, maybe a brand deal or get a sponsored video with someone else. It's no, as it's blown up, you are capitalizing or you're making money off of it that moment. That'd be, I mean, I'm sure creators on TikTok would love to see something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, on to our third topic of the day. Uh, this is a big one. There was a huge, huge Twitch leak. Twitch leak. Um, <laughs> you know, where Twitch was subject to a massive hack that leaked around 125 gigabytes of data. And this is a much bigger leak than I think we've talked about in the past where, you know, yeah, there's some, some accounts that leaked and stuff like that, which is, is very detrimental. Like if, if something like this happens, you know, you got to go in, you got to change your passwords and, and stuff like that and hope, you know, all of your information doesn't get stolen in credit cards. But Honestly, this one is much bigger because what was leaked in this hack was the entire source code of Twitch, the entire IP, all of its internal tools. So essentially, you could go into this leak and make an exact copy of Twitch from the information that was leaked. And that is incredibly uh, detrimental to to Amazon and Twitch because so much of what makes Twitch so popular is one, yes, it's user base, but two, it's technology. How it's better than all of the competitors like Mixer and, and Facebook gaming, if that still exists. Um, YouTube gaming. YouTube gaming. like, And YouTube is obviously has a very good platform as well, but all of these other you know, people who have tried to come in or these companies who've tried to come in haven't been able to emulate the ease of use and just the, the, the feeling of what Twitch brought and that's why you know amazon bought it they paid about a billion dollars for twitch 
because of this information and this development. Um, but on top of that, you know, it's future projects leaked, potential future projects leaked. For example, the, there was a leak about how Twitch was working on a competitor to Steam called Vapor. Um, and all of that information leaked, as well as the earnings for the top creators on Twitch. And this is huge. This is massive. So much information um, has been taken. And so far, you know, Twitch and Amazon have been trying to, they've acknowledged that this, this hack happened. They acknowledge that all of this information has leaked. They're still going through how much damage this is going to be um, and exactly how much information is, is out there. And, you know, the person who did uh, take this information and leak it out has kind of hinted that this is a part one. So there's potentially even more data that could come. And, you know, that is really kind of a, a scary proposition if you're Twitch and if you're Amazon um, about, you know, how much damage this leak could potentially do for you as a market leader um, and in terms of bolstering your competition to kind of, uh, you know, catch up to you with by seeing how exactly you do business, but also the the faith that people have in your platform. If all this information can leak and if I'm a creator and all of a sudden a huge portion of my earnings that I get paid from from Twitch leaks, maybe that makes me think, well, maybe I'll go to to YouTube where I don't have to worry about that happening, at least not right now. So yeah, this is a really kind of major situation that Twitch is working on right now. And I imagine the the story of this will blow over relatively soon, but the fallout of what actually happened here, I think is going to be a huge problem Twitch has to deal with for years to come. But yeah, my question to you is, have you heard anything about this Twitch leak? And does this at all change your appearance or your impression of Twitch? Does it make you a little bit more wary of working um, with Twitch, maybe posting videos on Twitch because of just how information has leaked here? I've heard of it. Yeah, definitely heard of the story. Um, it it definitely makes you a little bit. Uh, it definitely makes you think twice about interacting with Twitch, and not even you know as a creator, but even just as you know someone viewing videos, viewing streams, broadcasts on Twitch, like. To see that so much of their information was leaked, you know, their partnerships with creators and with brands, but also like everyone who has an account on Twitch, whether you're subscribed to a creator's channel or, you know, you're, you're part of their, you're part of their viewership. If you've donated money to someone before, all of your information is out there. You know, you mentioned passwords being linked, leaked and account information. Right. If you think you if you're someone who has an Amazon Prime account and you've linked that to Twitch, right, your credit card information is out there, especially if all of this information from Twitch has been leaked. So you not only have to think about, OK, changing your passwords, changing your logins, but also has my credit card been compromised? If you think of how much information is involved in this hack and this leak, like. There's a lot of compromises to securities that have been made here. And in doing some research for this topic, you know, I've kind of, it's become evident that leaks like this have happened in the past. It seems like, and this is from whistleblowers at Twitch from people who have previously worked there. And even, you know, some people who are working there now, it seems like Twitch is a company that has a history of this happening. Mm -hmm. There have been multiple security breaches and security issues and security safety problems that have happened over the years. And a lot of security concerns that have been raised by employees, but it seems like upper management has kind of just swept those under the rug. You know, from a recent employee at Twitch, they said that Twitch as a place foremost concerned with the bottom line. If it wasn't generating revenue, then it wasn't valued as highly. So it seems like there have been concerns being raised for years and years and years at Twitch, but because it didn't really bring more money into the company, more revenue, these issues haven't been addressed, which is why we could have a leak, a hack, not even a leak, a hack of this magnitude happen, right? There have been security vulnerabilities for years that have been taken advantage of. 
and now it's kind of it's all just it's all kind of exploded in Twitch's face. And it's if something this big has happened, it almost kind of makes you think, is there even a possibility for Twitch to be secure in the future? If so much of their source code, if so much of their API has been leaked to this point, right? Anything that they build on top of this, it's you have to see it as compromised. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yes, they could say that they're going to focus on securing things and changing things. But if you know that as a company, this has kind of been their path of making compromises to not only their security, but the user security. I mean, how can anyone really trust them moving forward? I guess that's kind of the bigger question. Like, yeah, this is huge right now, but what does this mean for Twitch moving forward? Right? Are any of the or I'm sure there are going to be quite a few creators that stick there, but I'm, I could imagine there being some sort of exodus of, of creators going to other more secure platforms or platforms that value their, their customers and creator security more. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, think about all of the, the companies that have had breach that we talked about in the past, you know, Facebook, Twitter, now Twitch, like uh, Microsoft, this i feel like has become status quo i don't think that people unfortunately have any illusion that what they're using is secure and the sad part to that is i think when things like this happen it's almost like oh yeah that happens and then you move on um but i think you brought up a really good point the entire platform of twitch has leaked this gives the ability for people to reverse engineer twitch and maybe find even more loopholes that even if they fix this problem which you know a quote from from twitch apparently the issue was quote uh server configuration change that was subsequently accessed by malicious by a malicious third party so essentially uh, end quote so essentially they what they happened here was they made a, a change to their server configuration that was you know made a loophole or a hole in their in their security was accessed by someone this person who got a hold of the entire entirety of twitch or damn near it and leaked it and yeah sure they can plug that hole but yeah you brought up a really good point maybe there's another hole that's available in or that's in the player that we may not be aware of that's all laid out for us now because you can go into the player you can see how it works you can see if there's a loophole Maybe there is a loophole in the chat system um, that allows you to maybe, similar to what happened with the Twitter hack, be able to get into the back end and all of a sudden start making posts from other people's accounts. Um, and maybe there's a maybe there's a hole in the donate system. Yeah. So that like maybe they patch this one thing, but then anytime you click donate, instead of it going to the creator you want it to go to, yeah. it's going to someone's wallet. <laughs> it's going to. Uh to uh or maybe you know they they can get in there and make an elon musk account and then he can ask for a bunch of people to buy dogecoin and donate to him. but you know this is a really good point of like you know these attacks are only ramping up they're only becoming more invasive and and more detrimental to the platforms that we all use but i i feel like the unfortunate reality is like our culture has become so used to it that we kind of just move on so it's going to be interesting to see how amazon response to this I, I don't i think it's impossible for them to break down twitch and build it from the ground up it's a market leader for a reason people like it people don't want it to change but yeah like you said if, if you're a creator and you just had you know what twitch is paying you leaked and that's probably something that you generally like to keep to yourself uh but now all of a sudden it's public information you know that can be a little bit uh, alarming to say well am i going to stick with this platform and you know maybe that maybe this is a, a place where youtube can capitalize and kind of bring more people in they've been trying to do that for a while to varying levels of success maybe this could be the nail but i don't know i think overall is probably going to be status quo uh for a lot of creators and watchers and maybe even an opportunity maybe some people could say well if the bigger creators are going to leave twitch maybe this is an opportunity for me to stand out i don't know but yeah, this is this is a big one. This is definitely one of the biggest leaks we've talked about on this podcast. Definitely. And continuing on with, you know, uh, the changing of technology and stuff like that, uh, one of the biggest pieces of news that has been floating around, we've talked about Framework, we've talked about Apple, 
but right to repair. Right to repair has been a huge topic of discussion recently. And this past week, we got two kind of big pieces of news. One of them is that Microsoft has been kind of pressured by its investors to focus on right to repair to essentially decrease their impact on the environment. And essentially what happened is here, there is a non-for-profit company called... As You So. Yes, called As You So, which is a shareholder advocacy, advocacy group that essentially wants Microsoft to agree to reevaluate how they handle repairs for products going forward. And essentially not limit it to, quote, limited network of authorized repair shops, end quote, to essentially open up the ability for more people and more kind of organizations and companies to repair products easier. And essentially what they're, they're saying here is if that gets allowed, essentially if repairability becomes a huge pillar for Microsoft products, essentially that will decrease the impact on the environment because less things will be wasted. Um, and instead of being thrown away and a new product being purchased, that perfectly working product or that perfectly fine product can be repaired to a point where it's working. And, you know, this is really big and it's, it remains to be seen on whether or not Microsoft fully embraces this. They do say that if there are changes, they will appear uh, towards the end of 2022, which will be interesting to see because Microsoft did just release some new Surface products that are, if anyone has seen them, terrible to repair. Um, essentially, it's still the Microsoft kind of methodology of you can't repair these things unless you want to do some damage to them. And, uh, you know, we're going to hide where you can actually open these things up. No, everything is going to be soldered onto the board, so you can't actually replace or increase storage or RAM and, you know, or even displays and stuff like that. And that has become a pillar of, of kind of their products and, and how they they design them. So hopefully that is something that changes close to 2022 if they do decide to actually make these changes. Um, but then also another big piece of news here was that, you know, Steam released a teardown of their upcoming Steam Deck. Essentially their handheld gaming console um, that's a full-on PC but is designed to compete with something like the Nintendo Switch. And what they did is they released a video of them opening it up to a certain extent and showing you how you could replace things like the joysticks and the storage drive, but then at the same time saying that you should not be doing it. Um, and that if, if you do want these things repaired, one, take them to a, a an authorized repair shop or back to Steam um, to actually have it repaired properly, but also indicating that, interestingly, if you open up your Steam Deck, it's going to reduce its structural integrity, which I think is really interesting. It's almost like, it's almost like mixed messages of saying, hey, here's how you can take apart your Steam Deck to repair it or upgrade it if you need to, um, but also don't do it. And, I mean, it's a little bit of a, of a half step towards right to repair, but one thing they did say in that video that I think was very important is that they announced that despite the fact that things like uh, the joysticks are going to be proprietary to that system, it's not something that you can just exchange for anything, it will be a part that they will offer for replacement. So you can order a new joystick, you can order new hard drives if anything, uh, or SSDs if anything goes wrong with it, which is a, a kind of a big step forward because for most of the products that we buy, you are not allowed to buy a replacement part. And, you know, we've seen this with things like the Nintendo Switch, which a lot of people have complained with Joy-Con drift. And if that happens, Joy-Cons are very expensive. Um, where we live, they're like $100 for a pair. And that's it's almost like, well, if you get Joy-Con drift, you now have to throw it away as opposed to, hey, going to a, a site where you can just buy a new joystick and replace the assembly. So yeah, this is this is interesting move from Steam um, to say, hey, we are going to provide actual genuine parts for you to replace these things if you have to. And for Microsoft to come out and say, hey, we are thanks to, you know, the work from our shareholders, we are actually going to take right to repair as a huge priority and, you know, provide things like schematics and, you know, right to repair methodology to more and more places. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how 
this kind of plays out. You know, Steam Deck is going to come out later this year. These changes to Microsoft are going to happen towards next year. But uh, my question to you as a person who's talked about how much you really like the framework laptop, does how do you feel about these changes uh, from big companies like Steam and Microsoft going further towards right to repair? Uh, definitely very happy to see changes like these happen. I mean, I also think this topic is very fitting, especially because last week, right, we were just talking about the iPhone 13 and how anytime you replaced a screen, whether it was from a, a genuine Apple screen, replacement screen, or a non-genuine one, you know, Face ID would stop work. We were previously talking about how much it seems like Apple is purposely trying to make things harder to repair and harder to fix. Um, you brought up a good point from As You So in their sort of their shareholder resolution that they that they put forth. They they have a quote there and it says Microsoft is a corporate leader in pledging to take substantial action to reduce climate emissions. Yet our company, meaning Microsoft, actively restricts consumer access to device repairability, undermining our sustainability commitments by failing to recognize a fundamental principle of electronics sustainability, that overall device environmental impact is principally determined by the length of its useful lifetime, which, you know, end quote. To sum it all up, Microsoft says that they want to be sustainable, but in making things harder to repair, you're actually doing the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. The same thing that we mentioned Apple was doing, the same thing that a lot of other manufacturers are doing. The fact that these companies are looking to do it themselves, I think is a huge step because a lot of what's been happening, you know, around this right to repair legislation, yes, it's obviously a great step that, you know, the American government is looking to push this forward. But if it's the government looking to do it, it's okay. It has to go through its different part processes of becoming, you know, of becoming law. And then you have to worry about them enforcing it on the companies. And then you have to worry about the companies then in response to this new legislation being enforced, doing something to change how they design their products and how, how they offer repair parts. It's a long process. It's a lot quicker and it's a lot more meaningful when it's the company doing it themselves. You know, whether it's the shareholders of Microsoft saying, hey, we want you to make things more sustainable whether it's Valve putting out a video themselves saying, okay, yes, you can repair this yourself and this is how you do it, even though we don't recommend it, that is more impactful than what the right to repair will do. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe they're doing this in response to that, you know, they're seeing, okay, right to repair is becoming a thing. It's going to, at some point, we are going to have to make things more sustainable, so we might as well do it now. So it's easier for us in the long run and it looks better for us too. But nonetheless, it's this is the way it's going to have to be. Companies are going to have to make the changes from the inside. And an interesting thing from this, the Steam Deck teardown video, they kind of start off saying, even though it's your PC and you have the right to open it and do what you want to it, we at Valve really don't recommend that you ever open it up. So it's I think it's a, a jab at some of the other companies and maybe even you know some of the past products that they've put out mm -hmm. kind of saying, hey, you have every right to open it up and do what you want with it, right? So they're acknowledging that, hey, there have been computers, laptops, phones, tablets designed in the past that you buy it, but you can't do what you want to it. It's yours. You should be able to, but you haven't been able to in the past. But, you know, we at Valve are going to make it. So make your, your life a little bit easier in doing so. And yes, they recommend that you don't open it up, but I think even them, you know, making repair parts available, like you said, I think that goes a long way to helping out the third party repair market. Cause maybe you don't want to repair it yourself, but you see in the video, you can take it to your local corner store or local repair shop and say, Hey, I ordered this part directly from valve. I just want you to put it in for me because I don't trust myself to do it. Mm -hmm. That's a lot that goes a long way as opposed to, you know, what we've seen in the past where repair parts haven't been available to third parties, haven't been available to the consumers, where you actually have like replacement batteries being withheld at customs mm. because they're not 
authenticated repair shops buying them. So something like this, even though, you know, they may be half steps, I think it's still a step in the right direction, which is a lot more than other companies are doing now. You know, they're not framework making laptops that are designed 100% to be repaired, but it's still a step in the right direction. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you. Like this is, it's funny because that uh, Steam Deck video by uh, Valve essentially showed you how easy it is, even though they told you not to open up, but how easy it is to repair the joysticks. And it's funny, I love the Nintendo Switch and I've talked about how much I, I like it and especially the modularity of docked, handheld, taking off the Joy-Cons and stuff like that. But if you really think about it, despite the fact that the Steam Deck doesn't have, you know, detachable Joy-Cons, it, it seems like it will be much cheaper to fix a broken stick on a Steam Deck that is all one unit than it is on a a Switch Joy-Con. Maybe not even just cheaper, but easier. Because they showed, hey, you just take off some screws, you, un, you undo the back, and then there's like one screw holding in that joystick assembly. You take it out, and you can just put a new one in. And that's really amazing to see, because like you said, that's almost like taking a jab at Nintendo of saying, look how difficult you make something that can be so simple to do. And... You know, another thing that you mentioned that I think is, is really great, and we've talked about NFTs and we talked about, you know, there's a new generation of investors and they're looking for new things to invest in, but also they have different priorities. And this seems like a real fundamental shift of the different generation of investors for a company like Microsoft of, hey, yeah, we're investors, we care about stock price, but we also care about the environment. And we also care about repairability. And these are things that are just important, as important to us as the profitability of the company. And it's you mentioned like, yeah, these things, sure, these things are happening through the government and they're going to go run through their course, but it's much more positive and much more effective for it to happen from an investor and a company level than it is to happen from, from a government level that can take years and decades to even have any kind of effect whatsoever. So, yeah, this is really cool to see. Um, the one thing I, I do wonder is, will Apple's investors ever have the same kind of same kind of mentality? Because they are the most valuable company in the world, and a lot of what makes them so valuable is the fact that their products are purchased every year by hundreds of millions of people. If they do things that can extend the life of the product, is that something that's necessarily within Apple's best interest? It's definitely within the best interest of the environment. It's definitely within the best interest of consumers. But is it in Apple's best interest? And maybe they're just too big to have a kind of change like that, which, you know, would be interesting to see if if investors can kind of weigh that out of, is it worth it or is it, you know, just keep going status quo? I think it would be worth it for Apple um, simply because... Like as much as we we talk about you know Apple always coming out with new things every every year, you know always saying oh it's the fastest iPhone ever this is the fastest laptop ever you know all these crazy charts and comparisons they come up with, you know all the flack that we give them they make good products that last. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still using a MacBook Pro from 2012, you know this this has lasted quite a long time. Yeah. And I think, you know, they definitely make things hard, if not impossible to repair right now, but they do make products that last. I think a lot of their, a lot of their revenue, a lot of their money comes from people always wanting the newest and the best thing, you know, and a lot of people equate Apple with being the best because they have this premium moniker to them. I think that even if they were to make their things more repairable and not even repairable by the consumer themselves, but even just, okay, we will let third-party repair shops fix things too, and we won't make it impossible for them. We won't take away their licenses. We won't try and sue them. I think they would still have like a substantial portion of their consumers that just want to buy the new thing every year. You know, whether that's the new iPhone or the new MacBook, 
I think, yes, you may lose some people who, okay, it costs $300 to repair this screen, so I'm just going to spend $500 for a new iPhone. Yeah, you're going to lose some of those people, but I think a majority of where Apple's revenue comes from, and when we talk about, you know, the, the, the product market is people just want the new Apple product. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, I, who am I? I'm not running Apple. I'm, you know, doing focus groups and all that. But I don't think that making their products more repairable is going to affect the person that has to have the new product mm-hmm. just because it's the new Apple product. And I think if they, you know, just like, just like the shareholder resolution said, if you preach sustainability and trying to reduce climate, you know, emissions and try and reduce e-waste, if you preach this as Apple, then you have to put your money where your mouth is and you have to say, okay, we are going to make things last longer so that we don't contribute to the problem of e-waste. You know, I don't know. I, I maybe that's just me being optimistic, but I think that Apple can both make their products more repairable and still make a profit. Yeah. Well, make a, a, a an absurd profit, which they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. And I, I do think that they might not have a choice. I think we're starting to see a new breed of consumers that are valuing different things. And I, I have a feeling that very soon Apple will not be able to make the claims that they are environmentally friendly, but also have non-repairable products. I think there might be some backlash on that coming soon, but but who knows? I guess it just remains to be seen. Yeah. Uh, any closing statements for today? Um. Well, actually, I have a quick question. Like, you know, speaking of Apple being the best, the one thing that has really, I've been really uh, impressed by with these iPhone 13s is their camera performance. And it kind of begs the question, do you think Apple should make a dedicated camera? Like, do you think that's something that they could actually do of just making a device that is a camera that uses their algorithms and their lenses and their cinema modes and, and portrait modes and stuff like that? I I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that there could be a really cool product there that or a product market there that they're not into yet, but they have all the technology to do. I'm, I'm just curious, would you ever buy a dedicated camera from Apple? I would never buy a dedicated camera from Apple simply because I know it would be absurdly priced. <laughs> they, I mean, we talked, I was mentioning their revenue from phones. Mm. The biggest revenue, their the biggest, I guess, earnings potential they have is in the app store mm-hmm. is in the marketplace that's where they get their their biggest return that's where they make the most money from their phones aren't a they obviously don't lose money making phones but they don't make as much as they do on the app store i don't think they would make i don't think they would they would necessarily look to make a dedicated camera just because if they do that it's not you can't play games on it. You can't subscribe to Apple Fitness on it. You can't, there's, you know, there's no microtransactions on it. Mm. It would be, yes, it'd probably be an amazing camera, but it wouldn't make them much money. And just like with the, even with the AirPods Max, right? Absurdly priced for what it is. Yeah. Or, uh, very overpriced for what it is. If you look at with their iMac when they sold the wheels for it, <laughs> right? I if they were to make a camera, I see it being something like the wheels. They would make it probably four times the price it should be, just because it's an Apple product. I'm sure it would look amazing. It would be some sort of stainless steel yeah. or some sort of I don't know surgical grade, space grade aluminum, and it would look amazing. It would take amazing photos. But it'd be like four times the price that it should be simply because it's an Apple product. And they would launch it just to further solidify their premium status. Yeah. To say, hey, you know, Canon, Sony, Hasselblad, you know, all these premium 
camera companies make great cameras, but look at this Apple camera, their eye camera, that's two times the price of those and looks way better than those do. Don't you want to buy this premium Apple product? And, you know, you'd have your, your YouTubers, you'd have your celebrities that buy them just because they can, just because they want to have them do this thing. But it's not something that a lot of people are going to have or would even need to have, right? Especially when, you, when we talk about how good phone cameras are now, whether it's iPhone, whether it's Pixel, whether it's, you know, Samsung, whether it's anyone, mm-hmm. really. But I do I think they would do it? I mean, sure, they could do it. They might do it. Could be in development right now. But I definitely would never buy one. Not a chance. <laughs> About as, as much of a chance of buying an AirPods Max. I mean, I definitely would buy AirPods Max before I buy an Apple camera. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.